Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Paradisos, where if you change your thoughts, you can change the world. That is right. That is right. My name is Dennis, for those of you who don't know, and I am back with another installment of uh, a guest recording. And man, I'm excited for this episode. Uh, today we have Ben Graham from uh, Trading Experts. If you guys don't know who trading and what trading experts are about, uh, you're going to know today. So, uh, Ben, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, a little bit less about what you're doing exactly and what you do for fun, your hobbies, you know, fun things about fun facts about Ben. So, you know, you've known me for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. going back probably two, three years. We met through trading experts. Uh, yeah. So, you know, me and a partner of mine, we formed a company to teach people how to trade. You know, we came up the same way. I, you know, I traded penny stocks in 07. I bought banking stocks in 08. I went, I traded options, I traded leverages. I did all the things that like the traders want to do and lost money as a result of that. And you just kind of learn and progress as you go through. And after having a lot of these conversations with the same people in the same you know, situation, it gets like a like very frustrating to hear the same, like, oh, you lost 100% buying some options. Like, well, I did that two, 10 years ago. Like, you should just not do that. Right. And after having a lot of those conversations, it's like, why can't we just kind of help that person avoid that? And, you know, that's kind of how we, we came about with trading experts. So uh, what about a little bit about yourself? Like, what do you do? What do you like? Um, talk a, bit, a little bit about, you know, that sick-ass Aston Martin that you got. Uh, I, I think you like cars, right? Uh, you probably have, like, yeah. a classic car. I actually just got it back today. I had, like, the whole front end, like, repainted. Oh, okay. So up. Uh, but, yeah, you know, cars, you know, you know with your on vacations, we just came back from, uh, we did Bimini a month ago. We did Turks and Caicos the month before. Nice. Um, we did like a Whistler trip, you know, back in December. Obviously, you know, you know we're big fans of reading. So we're, I'm not, I think I'm at the 17th book this year. Nice. 180th in the last like three years. So very, other, you know, obviously the car, you know, I'm looking at it because it's downstairs. It's up, parked up front. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we obviously, you know, big fan of cars, big fan of reading. A lot of things that can make money. Nice. So for those who don't know about the famous, uh, famous, uh, what is it? Uh, 2.8 GPA 2.4. license, 2.4. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? What's that about? So never was good in school. Oh, you know, never failed any classes, never dropped. Like just wasn't very interested in like accounting or, you know, just stuff that just didn't entertain me. Right. Uh, so never did very well education wise just did enough to get by you actually needed a 2.5 mm-hmm. to graduate from Railco, so right. I but they kind of like pushed me through because they had like these trading competitions and every semester i kept winning okay and then when you win you have to go in front of the faculty they give you this like big cheesy check for, like 200 bucks and you're like <laughs> oh why'd you do it what's the competition yeah. for it was a trading competition oh nice nice so they're like bringing me in front of like the faculty like the dean they're like Oh, like, well, how are you doing in school? I'm like, I'm actually on an academic rotation, but I'm like, the stuff you guys teach in the classroom has nothing to do with like how you actually invest. Right. So this is why I'm making 50% in the semester and why, you know, Timmy, who's in second place, is making 4% because he's listening to what you guys are teaching. So 
maybe rubbed some in the wrong way, but it, you know, the dean kind of was like, just get this kid out of here. Like, you don't <laughs> want him here anymore. Get him his degree, let him go. Um, he was, you know, the dean was sitting by and told me, he's like, you can't work in finance, like you should work in marketing. And, you know, I went, worked in Wall Street for a couple of years, and just, you know, I'm still on Wall Street now. So it was just a lot of those things where it's like people anchor towards like, you know, the high GPA. And with certain things, that's definitely right. Like, if you're a doctor, you definitely do know what you're doing. Um, I think with a lot of other skill sets, you don't really learn them in the classroom. And a lot of stuff that we teach, you're never going to learn in the classroom. You're never going to learn in an MBA program because they teach you on the book. And the you know, book is going to tell you about XYZ stock. Mm-hmm. And Apple. So we, you know, talk about things that are really happening, not to what happened 50 years ago or in, you know, the perfect world that you know, academic academia kind of falls into. So how, how would you say you overcame that sort of negative thought that was placed inside your mind like oh you shouldn't work in finance or or even before college like like you said you probably weren't that good in school like I wasn't I wasn't you know I was told that you know one of my dreams was to become a baseball player and I I wanted to become a baseball player up until high school and I I felt like I was good enough that's all I knew I ate pooped slept baseball and you know when I got to uh, high school you know, my coach, when I made it onto, I got cut the first year, second year I made it. And I was told that, you know, I wasn't good enough to make it pro. And then my dreams were like shattered and then I never overcame that. And so I, you know, I got into, you know, other things. So how, how did you overcome not being that great in school and, and being told that you weren't good enough for finance to just stick to marketing? I think, uh, there's like two main things. One, I think with a lot of people, it's like, they always want it. Like if, you know, the coach told you that you couldn't, you couldn't play pro ball. And with a lot of people, it's like, oh, screw that coach. He's wrong. I'm mm-hmm. going to prove him right. Or I'm going to prove him wrong. And I just think that's like a mentality where it, just, it goes very negative, where it's like you're just trying to prove that person right. When ultimately, like that person, even the dean, I think I could walk by that guy right now. He has no idea what like, I frankly don't know what it looks like. You know, the, the, car, the car salesman who like, wouldn't let me test drive the Aston, you know, if I walked by him, wouldn't notice him, wouldn't care. So what I'm trying to say is like, you know, the, the dealer wouldn't let me buy the Aston. It was like, I want to prove myself that I can buy it. Or, you know, if he said I couldn't work on Wall Street, like I'll prove myself that I can work on Wall Street. So it's more of, okay, if you say I can't do it, like, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it for myself because I want to not to come back like a year later and be like, haha, Dean, you know, I got the job and you said I couldn't do it. And I think that was, you know, kind of giving like that motivation, but more in a positive direction than trying to like prove that person wrong. I think that was like the main thing. And what disadvantages ha- does that have that that wanting to prove other people wrong have? I just think it just puts you in like a, just a negative mindset where it's like you're always like the victim when, you know, you're the one, you know, you're the one getting up every day. You're running this podcast. Like you can't, someone else can't force you to do that or force you not to do it. So it's more of like, you know, if my goal is to work on Wall Street. Like, what do I have to do to get there? If my goal is to buy the shiny new car, like, what do I have to do to get to there? And if the person says I can't do it, you know, most times when people say that, it's just because they can't. It's like, you know, I got to here as a dean, or I got here at XYZ Jobs, I did this, and you have to do it this way. And it's, it's not always the case because things are always changing. Like, even podcasting 20 years ago wasn't even a thing. Right. You know, guys making millions of dollars a year doing it. But they started this years ago, and they, you know, now they're getting good at the craft. It just takes time, and those people just aren't that patient, unfortunately. So, uh, talk to us a little bit about your morning routine. What does that usually consist of, and why does it allow you to conquer the rest of your day? 
is is you know your morning routine a big part of your life or is it something that you just ah and then you usually just conquer on your you know the rest of your day so like again starting i was never really like a really crazy morning person until i started working on wall street and i was just late to like you know almost like a boot camp where it's like you know i had to leave at 4 15 i didn't get home till nine and it was just like it got you in that rhythm where it's like okay you only you know i'd get home i'd go to sleep at midnight wake up at four and it was just like kind of work repetitive yeah and you just get in that like that routine um so obviously now i don't wake up four in the morning anymore i probably get up at like six um i read a little bit you know shower get ready uh you know, scan the market you know go through all my client accounts go through my personal accounts go through you know our members trading so i kind of have like like a, a list of things that I do kind of throughout the day. Mm-hmm. You know, I was reading in the morning, I was read at lunch, I was reading in the evening, I go to the gym in the evenings. So like with everything, we all have like routines that we're like just consistent with. And I just kind of have like that checklist where it's like, you know, the order, you know, the most important thing first. And then by the end of the day, you know, obviously the gym is important, but if I gotta manage someone's account million dollars, I mean it's gonna be a little more important than doing you know, 30 pull-ups in the gym. Right. So I try to stagger it, you know, the most important to least and, you know, some of the noise. Okay. So is there ever a time where something, well, you kind of gave an example, but maybe give another example as to when you have to, like, get out of that routine? Um, I mean, I think, I feel like for myself, at least it's like every three to six months, there's something where it's like, here's here's an example. So, the last like six months, I was setting like 20 goals a month, knowing that obviously I'm not going to exceed all 20 goals. I'm just being very realistic. It's like, these are 20 goals that I'm aiming for, all different, you know, whether it's, you know, getting in shape, whether it's reading, whether it's business-wise, whether it's money-wise, all these different goals. And I was realizing that, yes, I'm setting higher goals intentionally to fail to just kind of raise up where I'm trying to aim towards. Mm-hmm. But I started realizing like, a lot of these goals can be consolidated down to maybe five major ones for the month and then maybe a dozen bigger goals for the year. So instead of having 20 things that I want to do in a month, I'll narrow it down to what are the five most important one in each of those categories and then just focus on that. And if I focus on those, say, five major goals instead of the 20 smaller ones, those other little ones kind of get picked up just through the process of getting towards that those few bigger goals. So that was something just more consolidating what I'm focusing on versus trying to make sure everything else is going to work perfectly. So in other words, like you would set those small little, like those 15, 20 small goals aside and then somehow through the month while trying to achieve those five major goals, they would get achieved anyways. Yeah. So say, say if it was like for reading, for example, it's like maybe a daily goal would be like read a hundred pages in a day. And then maybe the monthly goal is to read six bucks. If I'm reading pretty much reach that five anyways versus having to say like damn can i read 100 pages or is it 80 pages all down 20 pages so it's not not that four chapters not that a quarter of a book the average adult reads one book a year you did that in four days like you're good just kind of focus on the broader picture and i think and i've been doing that the last like two or three months and that's definitely it's been slowly starting to help where it's just you're more focused on those two or three or four main things that you're focusing on versus trying to just juggle everything, you know, day to day. So why do you, and, um, I know you yourself are big, like, uh, you're big on goal setting and <clears throat> one of the big goals that you've set for, uh, you know, the trading experts, uh, 
Alpha Ch- Alpha Chat is um, what is it? Five million uh, mm-hmm. altogether throughout the year, and uh, and I'm sure you guys are, are are on your way on track to to setting that goal. Hopefully, uh, why is goal setting so important? And talk a little bit more uh, uh, about how one can overcome say procrastination i'm sure you're you're very big and against procrastination why is goal setting so important and how can someone get over that sort of procrastination to achieve that goal so remember when we met at uh, beauty assets in the city yeah. over the summer time yeah. you're talking about your calling website yeah and i'm like just make the, make the website just open it and you're like oh well this gotta be good it's gonna, i'm like yo just tell me a date when it's gonna be done and when it's going to be live. And you picked like a month later. I think it was July 31st, yeah, right? Yeah. You had to wrote it down. You texted it to me. What happened? Oh, did it didn't happen. But did, did you open the site? Oh, yeah. I got the site up. Yeah. So that was so. But now if we sat in a conversation, but like, yeah, Dennis, you definitely should do that website. Like, you'll do it one day. And it's like, all right, whatever. Yeah. It was like, no, like, pick a day, write it down, text it to me. I'm going to ignore you for the next two months until it's up. And then once it's up, you process just begins okay now who's your first customer who's your first prospect who's your target market who are you going to talk to and it was just that like you saw that firsthand like you obviously had a portion in your website but that was a perfect conversation where if it was just someone saying yeah, yeah go, you know, you'll definitely make a website and it doesn't go anywhere but it's like when do you want it to have it done and then do it and even if you miss the first goal, like deadline who cares it's in your head anyways but at least now you say okay maybe i could do it by next month and it makes that like dream more of like a realistic goal. And that's something that, you know, I picked up from one of my mentors back in the day where it was like, you know, for my IRA, it's like the most you can put is 6,000. And it's like, in your head, it's, you know, it's a lot of money for most people. And he goes, oh, dude, it's a hundred bucks a week. So you have a hundred bucks in your pocket? I'm like, hey, it's okay. Well, put a hundred dollars a week in your account. And then it's done. And I'm like, oh, that's actually really easy. And it's once you kind of have those conversations a couple of times, you hear the same people saying the same thing. Like, oh, I right. want to do this. And say, like, okay, how are you going to do it? Oh, I, in the summertime. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. summertime. Well, I want to relax now. I'll do it in the fall. And then in the fall, oh, I got work. And it's like nothing ever happened. So, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. So we just like cut it out. Like, tell me a day and I'm going to follow up that day and see where you get. And, and Yeah, and, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, – there was this uh, author that I had an interview for the podcast uh, a few months months ago. His name is uh, Philip Adcock. He is the author of Master Your Brain, one of my favorite books. And mm-hmm. I, I, me and my brother actually have been like just praying and just, damn, I wish this book was an audio book because my brother and I are really big on audio books. Even if we, you know, even if we do have time to like sit down and actually read the book. I Well, speaking for me anyways, I like to have the audible playing in the background just only because mm-hmm. I can cut out distraction because if I'm reading just without the audible one, like I, I start to wander and then, you know, my, my mind goes somewhere else. But if I have the audible playing, uh, you know, I can concentrate and just fly through pages and c- capture so much more uh, quickly. So um, when I spoke to the to the author, I told him, man, why isn't your book an audio book? And he told me it had to do with the with the publication. So uh, he gave me the email of his uh, publicist from the publication and I told them if you give me that email if you give me communications to that publication company we'll set a date together and I picked the date I picked I think it was uh September I have it on my phone here September 1st let's see yep September 1st master your brain need to be an audible <laughs> so so it was like 
he was like, all right, cool. So I'm going to, uh, with his like British accent, I'm going to write that in my journal. And mm-hmm. September 1st, I expect it to be a, a, an audible. I was like, bet. So I emailed uh, Barbara, which is from his publicist here in New, uh, in New York too. And I was like, hey, listen, um, I could start a GoFundMe. Uh, my name is Dennis from Paradiso's podcast. And a bunch of my friends, including myself and the co-host, my brother, are, are dying to have Master Your Brain. Um by Philip Adcock as an audible. What can we do to to make this happen? If uh, if a go from, if I can start a GoFundMe and have people donate to get it started, to get a jumpstart, you know, hire a narrator, whatever it takes. She said um, that uh, we can't really accept funds, but uh, I'll let the pub the publisher know and, and we'll start working on it. And boom, it, it, it's already starting. So I I can definitely relate as to. Um, you know, setting that day and holding, getting someone to hold yourself accountable. You know, it's all about accountability. If you have someone who can like, like you were like every two months, yo, is the site ready? Yo, is the site ready? Yo, uh, are you working on it? Yes. Yes. So if you have that accountability always on your back and always, and it's, it's not really, I feel in my opinion, it's not really, um, like haggling you or like, um, like putting pressure on you. It's, believing that you have the potential and not allowing you to slack off, not allowing you to procrastinate. So I think that that's a really big thing. So uh, talking a little bit back a little bit, uh, you said mentors, what can you, and I'm sure you probably had many mentors, but can you name a couple of like key, like life ideas that were giving to you that you still hold closely to your heart and you use, you know, on your everyday life, whether it be on trading, uh, whatever it may, may be. Well, I think, I think especially with the accountability, it's like, uh, like with, with me hammering on you like every month about the site and then you eventually got it up, you started bringing sales. Like if I have to make you accountable towards you starting that, if I'm working on, you know, like we got the app for our, our company on the app store, you can download it. Like that took us like a year to do, but when everyone knew that we were working on it and said, okay, we got past this first phase, like we submitted the approval through Apple on like December 25th and we're like, January 1st, we're good to go. You guys are gonna download in five days. And then we learned a very hard lesson that like Apple is not that easy. It took us like two months to get through that final approval process. But the fact that if if I'm gonna make you accountable and and try to get you to open a site, or I'm gonna make, you know, Tommy Brennan, who's 17 now, who I've been talking since he was 14, max at his IRA. Well, I gotta make sure my 401k is maxed out. I gotta make sure my SEP is maxed out. I gotta make sure my IRA is maxed out. I gotta make sure I'm taking, make sure my parents' IRAs, and I have to make sure that if I'm telling that person to do something, to read every day or, or to max their account or to invest properly, I have to do the same thing. So if I have to hold you accountable or I'm holding our, my members or clients accountable, I have to be also doing the same things. So it also kind of keeps me in step because I can't say, Dennis, you better go read this book tonight, and then I'm gonna be sitting there watching Netflix. Like, right, that's right. it's not right. And there's people that do that, and like in our industry, it's like you know. I meet with advisors who are 60 years old who manage a few hundred million dollars and they're the worst traders in the world because they're not, they don't, they never learn how to trade, it's just they know how to sell. So in every industry you're going to have, you'll have it in real estate, construction, anywhere you, you're going to have those people, but we want to always focus on make sure that we can give value to you, to our members, and just make sure that we can help them first and then just rules the reciprocity that's going to come back to us, you know, tenfold. So in other words, Something that a mentor taught you is like, if you hold someone accountable, make sure you're doing the same damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so 
oh, I had I had the, the the notes here. So if talk a little bit about fear and why fear holds people back in life, in, in general, in, in trading, in everything. Why do you think fear is such like a deadly weapon and like a deadly emotional attribute to people that just hold them back so like furiously i don't I, like people anchor towards fear just like an easy word i think it's more of like worrying so people are always worrying about mm. when the bills are going to come in or can they can they take the vacation can they go out to dinner there's like a lot of that worry or is the market going to crash is the housing market going to crash is like all these like crazy things it, you know it's just like the plane going to crash in the water like it, Hit by a shark, by going like all these like things that people tend to worry about. Where if you really break down like the the numbers, like the, the fact, it's mm-hmm. like you know, the odds of me getting you know me being in a plane crash is less likely than me getting struck by lightning. It's right. like okay, well, how this place is going to be fine? Or you know, in the last hundred years the market's averaged nine percent. You know, there's been crashes in between all those, and if at any of those times you bought at the absolute peak of the, of the crash, like right at the peak before the crash, right. you still made money. If you bought in a eight, you're up three hundred percent. If you bought the absolute top back then, so there was a book that I read, um, how to start, how to stop worrying and start living by Dale Carnegie. It's like a classic. Mm. And I'm not really interested in that, but suddenly, like, I worry about stuff like pretty So I'm like, I read it, and it was like one of my like, top three books, favorite books I've ever read. There's so many of these stories that relate to every person. Like imagine all these little stories in it that can relate to someone else. Okay, I think I made that book to probably like 50 people. If you get married, you get divorced, there's so many little stories in it. You really get through all of it. You can relate to the things that you do worry about. You realize you're like 99% of stuff that I'm worrying about doesn't really matter, or it's never going to happen to begin with. So it's like, why do I care? Why am I going to waste the time worrying about if? The world's going to end, the dollar's going to go to zero, and we're going to be for bullets. If that happens, like, who cares? Like, we'll, we get to that point to be there, but probably not going to happen tomorrow. Like, I'm probably going to still go to work. I'm going to probably still drive my car off the top. And I'm like, more likely it's going to be fine. And just people want to just worry a lot. And I think that's a really good to kind of help that person off that ledge. Of, you know, really so, the, so, so if, if worrying is, it's, it, it, it's where it starts. Where does it even come from then? Like, wouldn't just, worrying come from sort of fear? It just, I think it's more like a lack of education. Mm. So it's, you know, if I'm relating to the market, like even right now, uh, if you think back at the beginning of the year, with the worst start of the year, you know, the end, end of 2018, we were down 30% off highs, but again, we were up every single year, record, you know, record numbers. You know, if you just bought and forgot about the market at any time in the past, you destroyed it. And then what happens though is when a little bit of fear comes in the market, we're talking about three months out of 10 years, we had a little bit of a panic where the market closed back off of all-time highs. Right. If you had bought in at the all-time high, you know, three months prior to the, you know, this, the crash, today you didn't lose $1. Right. We're back at highs, you know? But what happens is the person who doesn't understand the market or doesn't understand, you know, whatever they're trying to do, they buy at the high because everyone else is doing it. It just social proof like oh my god he's buying whatever stuff i need to buy it and so you just buy it you don't know what you're doing there's no plan it starts to go down you think it's going to go to zero you sell it you lose money it goes back up to exactly where it was like where the market is now you know like oh i'm such an idiot 
but this time it's going to be different. And you buy it again and the market pulls back and you like repeat that process of just doing the complete opposite where on our role, especially for the, like, the people that I talk with, when I talk about new trades, I'm like, what are you looking at? Like, I'm looking at Tesla. I'm like, Tesla's down like 40% this quarter. You know, I don't care if they got the coolest car on the road. Like if their stock's getting small, their stock's getting small. Right. Just focus on what's expensive. But when I look back to myself, when I first started, like I bought penny stocks. Like I bought the stock that I bought, I traded General Motors and they went bankrupt in 08. When they're like, at 4 p.m., this stock will be worth zero. And at 9.30, I'm buying a thousand shares and selling it five cents higher. It made like 40 bucks after commission, but it was like, this <laughs> is zero. Like I, not, like I was that stupid to trade it when there was eight hours of the company left. Okay. So I can relate to those people, but it's, it just like, you just want to like shake. I'm like, no, like I've done this before. Like this, it's not, you know, it looks like fun, but it's not. And you know, we can't help every single person, but the guys that do take on to it, you know, they're the ones that can benefit from. And that's, you know, who we have to kind of focus on. All right. So before we go to break, I want to talk about two more things. Um, are you a fan of journaling? Like for yourself? Okay. So, so why would you say journaling is important in one self self development in becoming a better person in general? I think there's like a few different, like, so we journal for trading. Okay. Very simple. Like even for me, it's a couple lines, screenshot the chart. You know, I bought here, I sold here. This is why this is where I messed up. Maybe my stop was too tight, whatever. That's just like, just for, to improve as a trader, because when you have all these trades, you forget a, a year ago, you took this injury a year ago, you sit again now and you look back, you're like, this probably will happen. Let me not do that this time. Then you have like the journal, like you said, like for personal development. I did that a lot, like in high school and college, like every day I had like a journal. And what I noticed a lot of it was kind of repetitive. Like a Monday through Friday, it was like went to class, went to the gym, hung out with so-and-so, whatever, whatever. So I tried to like skip it to just journaling of like what, what I did, what was fun, what was exciting, what did I learn from it, like stuff like that. That I don't do as much anymore. Um, now it's like you have social media, like you pretty much can just know what you did by the stuff you kind of posted. But I think there's a lot of different type of journaling that you can do. For us, for trading, it's, it's just much more fact-based. It's not really opinion-based because it's like, okay, we're buying 100, our stock's 99, we're trying to sell 105, and it's like just very to the point where it's not like, oh, I'm emotional today, I, you know, yeah. stuff tell me to buy it. Like that's stuff that like we don't care about because that's just not how the market works. Um, I think journaling is, is huge, though, especially if you do it consistently. Okay, and one last thing. Um, what is your current book and what did you learn about your previous book? So current book, what do you think about it? And then what did you take most out of your previous book that you read? So I just started this book today. It's, uh, it's big, small, I, I'm going to say it's big, small changes by, uh, Robert Sinodani. I might be murdering his name, but he's like a big guy in human psychology, all of his books, like top five. Um, the one previous, um, Natistic was a really good book I just finished. They had like a really good example on like discrimination. And they did a study back, this was like in the 1960s. And it was all my class, they had the blue-eyed students and then the brown-eyed students. So the teacher goes, okay, the blue-eyed students. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that study, yeah, yeah. And, and then the next day they switch it. Yeah. And they say, oh no, we messed up, the brown-eyed students better. And they showed the difference of how confident the better, you know. So there's a lot of those like little things that like, some people will never get to experience when you actually read it and then you hear back from the people like 30 years later of how much they learned from that experience. It's like, it was very shocking. Um, but I think this year, the most important book I think I've read was the How to Stop Worrying. 
and start living by Dale Carnegie. That book I've right. sent to the most people. Um, the Go-Giver is a really awesome book. Um, just again, it's about giving. It's very simple. It's a sh- very short book. But those are there for me. So, uh, so one, if you can think off the top of your head, uh, one key element of that uh, Dale Carnegie book, what is it? If you can take away one thing, what, what, what was it from that Dale Carnegie book? It's pretty, it's just literally like whatever you're worrying about is probably not going to happen. So just enjoy it. Just whatever you're like, worry about it, it's not, it's more like you're not going to happen. And if it does, you'll learn from it and you'll move on. Uh, but it's, it's too good of a book to summarize in like a sentence or even like a paragraph. It's really a perfect example. I have a buddy of mine, he's a cop. You know, they have PTSD when they have a traumatic experience. So he was worrying about his job. And I'm like, Mike, you're a great cop. And he was for years, like, you know, this thing happened, but he did the right thing. And I just sent him the book, didn't even tell him. He just got it. And then I'm like, just shoot me a text when you finish the first chapter. And like, he got the book two weeks later, Amazon Prime, whatever. And he's like, this is the best thing I've ever read. He's like, I was going to, like, a psychiatrist has been anything. He's like, this book hit home so hard. And like, this is, I was never read a book in his life, and he, I'm pretty, I don't think he's finished it yet, but he's probably at least like halfway through, and it's just a book that like, there's so many different stories that it's going to relate to someone in some way, and they'll benefit from it. Or, or if it doesn't relate to you, then at least you have the knowledge for when, you know, yeah. God forbid something does happen like that, where, you know, all this worrying comes in, all this stress, then you know how to handle it. Yeah, even like with friends, and like, even you have a, you know, a friend stressing about something, like when I read it, I was like, hey, there's this one story that's going to relate to Mike. Like, I know when he gets past the chapter one, it's going to hit, it's going to relate to him. And so maybe it didn't directly benefit me, but if my buddy Mike is reading it or my buddy was about to get married, who's way too young, there's chapters there on that. So there's like a lot of these different things where it's like, okay, maybe it doesn't directly benefit me, but I know someone that it might. And if they get to read it, then, then that's great. All right, perfect. So uh, we do actually have to go to break. Um, but when we come back, we're going to uh, speak more about books definitely go uh, uh, into trading experts and what anyone can do to get into trading experts, which is pretty simple actually. And, um, and yeah, a lot more stuff. Uh, Ben, thank you again for coming on to Paradiso's podcast and just speaking to the people about trading life books and uh, cars. And uh, yeah, we'll be right back with more. All right. Starting in five. Four, three, and we're back. If you're just joining us, which would be weird because if you listen to a podcast, you don't usually start in the middle like you would a radio show. But hey, um, we're back. This is Paradisos. I am Dennis, and I am having the honor to sit down and uh, speak with Ben Graham from Trading Experts. Uh, so let's jump right in before I go over, you know, what, what my notes consist of, I actually wanted to ask you a question about investing. I figured I was going to wait till the end and ask him when we were off air, but I figured, you know, more, you know, most people would probably have this question too. So when it comes to offering a percentage of your company for uh, capital, how does paying that investor back work? So like I've seen episodes of Shark Tank where people, you know, go on, oh, I'm asking for 400000 for 10% of my company. So how would it work paying that investor back their investment, of course, and then after they get paid back they, what they paid for the, you know, their investment, how would it work after that? I mean, there's going to be so many different variables. So say you come to me and you're like, okay, I need $100,000. I want to go 
you know, build out a store. I want to start something product mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. The person looking at me, okay, you know, what's your track record? What's your business plan? You know, what's your revenue been already? And then from there, it's, you know, if I got to give you a hundred grand, you're going to go, you know, make a thousand t-shirts and you got to sell them for a hundred bucks a piece. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to want to get that money back first, but there's it's just for that type of question. It's like, it's got to be much more narrow because it can be a thousand different, you know, it just can go, you can go on for days on all the different ways to get paid back. But with any loan, if you owe someone money and there's interest involved, say it's 10%, you, you, I give you a hundred grand, you owe me a hundred thousand dollars back plus 10% interest in a given year. Let's say you didn't pay me anything. That means end of year one, you owe me 110,000. So, okay. And year one, you have 110,000 to give back. Okay, cool. If not, that interest is going to, it's going to keep building, yeah, right. kind of pay that back. So, you know, with that type of question, if it's a very specific example, you know, you can definitely dive into it, but broadly, it's just, you know, if you're taking on debt, you just want to make sure you can pay it back and you pay it back by selling a product or a service. And, you know, when you have that business plan, the person who you're going to is more going to be much more serious than if you say, I have this great idea. Because right. every person on the street has an idea, right. but most people don't sit down and write down, like, this is my target market. This is what I want to go after. This is how I'm going to market. This is how I'm going to sell. This is my price point. This is my profit margin. Like once you can explain all those things with confidence, that person can take you much more seriously. If you say, I have the next Facebook or the next right. Instagram, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So let's say that person is investing and is not only expecting interest, but it is, you know, now has a stake in the company. So would that stake, let's say 10%, would that stake be given to that investor, you know, every quarter, every month, every year? Is that something okay. that's discussed? That's going to be, yeah, that's going to be broken out between that person. Most people in the beginning don't want to give that person the interest, like the 10% of the company, the 20%. When in actuality, like you kind of do because that person, so if you're going to the person to take 100 grand, yeah. they already have money. They've already probably done something in business. They probably know a little bit more than you coming into the game. Right. So if you give, you know, if you give someone 100 grand, okay, whatever. But if now you own 20% of that company, you have like the person who gave the money has like an incentive to make that company work. So instead of just writing off the check and moving on with their day, they'd much rather like, look, I'd rather get 20% of this and be able to help you grow this business much faster because it's going to benefit me as well. Um, so like if it were for me, I would rather have like give you a fixed amount and then I would own a part of the company versus like it being a loan and wanting that $10,000 on top of a hundred. Right, right. Everyone's different. And um, let's say if, you know, you, you, you get that loan from an investor, he gets a stake of the company. And then how would it work when the time comes of that company wanting to, wanting to buy out that investor? Let's say the company's flourished, it's, it's mm-hmm. worth a billion dollars now. Is that something that's written in a contract where it says, okay, if we're worth this amount by this time, then you're going to get this amount and you have to basically leave? Yeah. So like you said, definitely want to have a contract. Um, but most of the time, you know, if it's already like, when, you know, when things are working well, mm-hmm. especially if the partners, like the business is growing, the partner you're working with is helping you. Most people don't really want to sever that relationship. You, like even for me and my partner, like I always want to work with my partner because we work so well together. It's never like we're doing great now. Can I buy you out? Because I don't want you a part of it. Right. So there's.
Awesome, awesome. Sorry about that, guys. We had some technical difficulties, but we are back. And uh, Ben, it's the moment of truth. Let's get into uh, trading experts and what is it about. Uh, I have a whole bunch of questions about it, and you know, just just let it just let it roll. So, uh, what is trading experts? Nice. Yes, I saw that. Nice. <laughs> Fire. All right. So, what is trading experts? So Trading Answers is a company that teaches new traders how to successfully swing trade in the market. Simple. Right to the point. I love it. All right. So why was uh, Trading Experts created? Awesome. So a uh, little background on myself and pretty much every new investor. I started back in 07. You know, I was in high school and did some trading you know, simulation, like a history class and like murdered everyone. You know, you started with like a hundred thousand dollars. It was paper money, so again, it means nothing. But so I was a hundred and like turned it into like two hundred million. Again, paper money, nothing real, playing a video game. But I like murdered my class. So I was like, I think second place made a hundred one thousand. I mean, a thousand bucks. I like had this crazy. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is easy. I definitely can do it. I've already been. I had a business in, in high school selling candy. Um, so I had money coming in. You know, I was making like 200 bucks a day. I had five different schools that I was selling. So wait, wait. Sorry to interrupt, but how, how did you do so well? Like you had any knowledge in trading at all? No. So my, the, my first little come up, I was, like I said, I was selling candy and I just kept hiring all my buddies at all different schools. I had like five different high schools I was selling candy in. And they were like, thing like little Sour Patch Kids. They were individually wrapped. They were 25 cents a piece. Yeah. And everyone loves candy. It was really the easiest sell ever. So you got five different schools. You got 20 people sell candy for you. I had a bunch of mopeds that I would like give out to my like salespeople that like did the best. So I have like money for a high school kid, two, 300 bucks a day profit. That's like, no, that's like people's salary. Right. They make that, you know, and I'm in high school driving a moped making that kind of money. So I had this like just box full of quarters, like, like a treasure chest because everyone paid in quarters and dollars. And I was like, okay, I just killed it in this simulation. Let me go invest it in the market because it's going to be so easy just like this. Right. So like everyone else, they had the little chunk of change they put in their account. Back then I was using E-Trade. In 07, it was like $18 a trade. So it was $18 to buy and then $18 to sell. Jeez. People now complain at Robinhood when it's for free. And I'm like, I used to pay $34 round trip to buy like one share of Apple. And I thought $9 in TD Ameritrade was a lot. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so again, started with penny stocks back then. This was like pre Tim Sykes, pre Twitter, pre Facebook. Like Facebook was still like MySpace was still relevant back yeah, then. Yeah. Facebook, no one even thought Facebook was like a thing. And they used to send these like uh, these brochures in the mail, and it'd be like the next Exxon or the next fucking app or whatever. Yeah. So these glossy brochures, and then you know promises of rich to be hundred dollar bills in the path, whatever. So I would buy a couple penny stocks. Just you got 100% loss, 100% loss. One would go up, make 10%. You brag about it. So you know I did that. Then I got into you know trading like the two dollar names, like the Sprints and the John McCheeses and the Fannie Mae's. But same thing, huge losses and then very little gains when you're right. right. And through that, you know, all through high school, kind of phased out of that into college, started trading like the Netflixes and then the leverage ETFs, which like right now there's like the JNUG or the D-Jazz, yeah. all those like Drexion ETFs that are just absolute trash. Um, and like we have a store on how I lost like 60 grand trading those. Cause again, you get, you get good or you think you're good. Yeah. You, 
8,000, you make 10,000, and you mess up one time and you lose 60. And you're like, I don't know anything. And, and then, you know, fast forward, I graduated college just barely, 2.4 GPA, got a job on Wall Street um, at a prop firm, and my partner Shake there. And then once we finally got to that point, like for me, I had gone through, you know, the six or seven years of just doing everything wrong, everything that majority of new traders do. New traders go into the market to be unique. They want to invest this, they want to invent this new investment strategy. It's going to be better than the rest. Yeah. And what they end up doing is what everyone else does. Right. They rush to the riskiest thing humanly possible. They go to options, they go to penny stocks, they go to a stock that's down 99% in the last decade. And they go to but Forex the, and all of that. But the second they buy it, it's going to miraculously become the best company in the world. Right. So everyone tries to be unique, but they end up being like in the, in my case, the sheep just being in the crowd doing the same exact thing and from doing it firsthand and then seeing how we were able to transform. We also noticed that, you know, the average person isn't going to get this advice on their own. You can read every book in the market. You can, you know, go watch every YouTube video, but there's just too much information. It's too much going on. There's too many different ideas where we just simplify it. We're like, this is the process. You know, if you do this, you know, you've, finish step one, you'll know this guaranteed, you know, much more than you the month before. And it is getting them in that habit. And then, you know, month later, two months later, three months later, they can trade without us, but most still stay because, you know, we do have a community, you know, we do hang, you know, it's more of a, you know, actual community than like just a business. Right. So it's great that you mentioned community because it leads me to my next question, which was, which is who was the trading experts intended for when you first created it? So for me, it was actually directed at myself because I think of myself when I first started, there's no way I would have ever joined like a service. I was, I had too much of an ego. I could teach myself. I could figure it out. But yet, you know, when I learned how to snowboard, I learned from my older cousin. I learned how to ride a motorcycle, learned from my father. When I learned, you know, when you go to college, you learn from your professor. So all these other walks of life, we're always learning from a mentor, someone who has real experience. And then for whatever reason, and it's specifically more geared towards males in the market, that they can figure it out. It's like macho man, I'll figure it out myself. And for my, when I look back at myself, if I would have had myself now teaching my like 17 year old self, I'd be so much farther ahead. And I, and we have a member, Tommy Brander, he, he DM'd us. This was three, four years ago. He was 14 years old. And sounded just like me. I want to invest, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, whatever. You're 14, you're too young. Like, it's a business. It costs money. I can't charge you. You're too young. But I'm like, you know what? I'll give you one program. You complete it. I'll send you the next one. And to pretty much give him the test. Because if I, even right now, if I send you all of our material, you're not going to read it. You know, as much as you say you will, the next person, you're not going to read it. But if I send you the first one and you complete it, and I know you did it, okay, now I'll send you the next one. And then I'll send you the next one. It's incentive to continue to go into want more. Yeah, it's not even an incentive, it's just that we can weed out the people who like say they want to do it versus people that actually want to do it. So out of, say there was 100 Tommies that were 15 years old or 14 years old who wanted to join, he was the one who, we gave him the material, he did the work, we sent more material, to the work. And long story short for him, Tommy's now 18. We just opened up his Roth IRA. He maxed it out, 6,000. He's got probably 25,000 in his Robinhood account. He saves weekly, is still in high school, trades while in school. Um, I talked to his mom, his mom is like the sweetest lady ever. And, and like, he, he's reading like all this like, crazy stuff where I'm like, if, if, I was that person, if I was Tommy, when I was 16 and I had myself, 
I would be 10 times farther than where I am now, but I had, but I started six years later. So for those people, we can speed up that learning curve where in the beginning, everyone thinks in a week they're going to know everything. And then five years later, they're like, I still know nothing. Where for Tommy, who came in at 14, now he's 18. I have guys who are worth two, three, four, five million dollars, and they'll have an idea and Tommy be like, that's the worst setup ever. The stock's at 50 week lows, it's breaking out. Why do you want to buy that? And the guy hits me up, he's like, who is this kid? I'm like, oh, Tommy knows his stuff. Like, Tommy is Tommy. I'll take any trade with Tommy, whatever he wants to buy. Like he bought Amazon through a thousand, like anything Tommy wants to buy, not even a thought I'm buying it with him. But it could be a guy with five million who doesn't know anything. And I'm like, nah, this, this idea isn't the best. Yeah. But it's really not money is like the knowledge, it's knowing what to do. And for someone like Tommy, he, he knows that. So helping people like that, you know, it's, it's awesome to hear, you know, especially when he calls me or his mom calls me and she's like, Tommy wants to learn about Roth. I mean, none of his friends want to do that. I'm like, yeah, because your son's really smart. Like, you know, Tommy will, I ran a plan for him. And if he continues to max out his IRA, continues to save how much he saves, when he's 65, he should have about $25 million. 20 of it will be tax free. It'll be all on his Roth because he's so young. He has so much time in front of him. And he's already a really good trader and he saves a lot where I can work with a guy who's 50, who's got a million dollars and he still won't get anywhere near Tommy because he has so much time on his hands. Exactly. And it's a real testament. There's a saying that says, you know, if, if you work constantly, diligently for six months straight, you're already five years ahead of everyone else. Yeah. That's a real testament to, you know, what Tommy is doing and what you're capable of doing in other people's lives. Yeah. So uh, next question is, what have you learned personally from uh, after creating trading experts? I think the biggest thing for myself, and, and we spoke about this a little bit before, was like, you kind of have to practice what you preach. So if I'm telling you, like, we're buying high, we're selling higher, I can't buy a stock if it's super close. If I'm telling you that people blow up trading options and I might see a good deal, I'm still not gonna touch the option. If, if I'm telling you, you gotta read every day, you know, I'm reading every day. If I'm telling you, you gotta max your IRA, I gotta max mine. So for me, a lot of the, the rules or, or the stepping stones that we kind of keep in place, it also keeps us accountable in the same way. Like for, you know, me and Shape, we have to go to our newsletter every weekend that we send out for the week ahead. We have to make sure there's always trade ideas for our members. And it's kind of a give and take where it just keeps us kind of working when it's when you're kind of trading by yourself and this was even like when we were at our prop firm you know people think of like a prop firm like wolf of wall street where everyone's like screaming and everyone's super high energy and any real trader knows who's worked on the floor you walk in it's dead silent or you, you can hear a pin drop you got headphones in like saying anything and as much as it's like a collaborative environment because everyone's there to make money it there's still like i got it's just from our experience it was like everyone was just still for themselves like if I'm buying, you know, back in the day, it was like, we're buying Clack through 44, it's probably at 140 dollars, you know, today. It was like, I'd be buying it at 44, and then I'd be calling it out at 45, like a dollar later. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, Clack's at 43, guys, I'm buying it through 44, my stop's 43, I'm looking to sell it at 48, and it might not go for a day or two, but at least you guys know what I'm looking at. And that's, that, it's, you know, that group that we've kind of culminated in the alpha chat where like, no one's allowed to complain. Like, if you complain, I kick you out. Yeah, it's like I like no because it's like you just bring that energy. It's like right. bad days, but it's like if you complain, like you're gonna bring that out. If if there's no setups, you're not gonna find any setups. But if you if you're optimistic and you are constantly looking, there's always gonna be an opportunity. So you just like focus on keeping like our alpha chat like 
very tight. All the guys looking at the same thing. Everyone's kind of on the same page. And there's sometimes a little fire member because it's some people just still want to be the black sheep. And that's great for them. But when we got millions of dollars in the market in specific names, like unfortunately that one person, if they're going to drag us down, they kind of have to go. And, you know, that's just, you know, you got to just stay consistent with what the, the goal is. So uh, just to get a little bit off track here, you mentioned, you know, just the people who have a bad energy or who complain, you know, they're out of here. So for, for someone like that, you know, of course they're gone, they get kicked out. But how would how would someone be able to overcome that negative, you know, not not having to complain? How would someone be able to overcome that, you know, that that fear of or or is my trade going to work or damn, what happens if, you know, I get shaked out or all of that? So how do you overcome that? So one again, like I said, like the group that we're in, everyone is always looking top right. Everyone's always looking forward. No one's like, I don't care. No one cares what happened yesterday. Like. You, you go on like a lot of these, and I'm in a lot of these Facebook groups just to kind of see what the market is like, what marketers are doing. And you go in these like Facebook groups, 50,000 people, and everyone's like, last week, what will happen? And it's like, that means nothing. That's completely useless information. doesn't have anything to do with anything. So we're always just looking forward. And again, with anything in life, you know, the first podcast you did, you probably were like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, uh, uh. And then you've done so many now where it's like, this is a cakewalk. Yeah. So for us, it's like, it just be at bats. It's like that first trade, yes, you're gonna be a little bit nervous. The second trade, you be a little less nervous. And then by the 50th, 100th, it's just another trade. You know, any trade that, you know, we talk about, like I bought, uh, you know, Dunkin' Donuts today. We just bought um, CSX, you know, trade company through 76. Like they're all the same trades. There's no emotion. It's like, I bought 76, my stock was 75. It's at 77 today. Moves it up to break even. If it's wrong, I don't care. If it goes back to 82, you know, peel some off. Simple. There's no like, well, they're a train company and they move a lot of stuff and warm up. It's like, no, I don't care. It's just like right to the point. And in the beginning, you ask them to trade their idea and it takes them nine hours to explain it because it's and blah, blah. And then if you slowly start to learn, the simpler the person can explain what they do tends to be the more proficient they are. I'm, I'm saying I'm proficient, but just from the people I've spoken to, very quickly I can gauge their experience just by how they talk and how long it takes them to explain what they want to buy. Right. Yeah. So um, a little bit about that is how how important to you personally and you know to your students and who you know who you teach how how important is it you know when you hear uh information about the market and the news and you know what the company is doing at the time how important and how much is is taken into consideration with all that information that you know sort of in the end determines what your trade is going to be so from a news standpoint go watch cnbc I have no TV on of like breaking news because it's all it's really just noise. Anything on CNBC, really, if you really do the numbers and you really plot what people say, it's always the opposite. When they tell you to sell, it's usually the time to buy. When they tell you to buy, it's usually the time to sell. They told people to buy Bitcoin at 19, they told you to sell it at 1,000. So anything on the TV or news, we don't watch at all. It's completely thrown in the trash. So if we're talking about valuable information, the news, the media, Yahoo Finance, Market Watch, Bloomberg. 99% is just useless information just to have something to talk about. The only information that we ever look at is forward guidance. So four times a year, there's earnings seasons. Every company has to report their earnings and every new trader focuses on earnings per share. Earnings per share tells you the past. Again, new traders love the past. 
real traders care about the future. So you'll hear new traders like, oh, so-and-so beat you know, earnings, but they're down 20%, why is that? It's like, well, their forward guidance, they just slashed it you know, for the rest of the year. They're expecting you less business this year. So people with real money hear that and they're like, get me out of the stock. So for us, the only information that we ever care about is forward guidance. You hear that in the conference call or in the earnings report. But the main caveat with that is that, again, the new trader wants to buy before earnings because they have some hunch that the stock's gonna gap up. Every stock's always gonna gap up with earnings. That's always the new trader hunch. Usually, they're always, usually they're wrong. It's just a coin flip. I can't tell you what stock's gonna gap up. I can't tell you what stock's gonna gap down. I don't have inside information. I can't read their report before you or I can. But what I can do is I can look at their earnings report and say, they raise their forward guidance. Tomorrow, I'll buy it. And more than likely, I'm probably still not going to buy it tomorrow because everyone else will be buying it tomorrow. And a good example of that, again, we can't really pull up charts in this podcast, but GH is a name that we bought yesterday. So a month ago, GH reported good earnings, earnings, but they had good forward guidance. So GH had gapped up. Now, it couldn't get above $80 a share, right? It pulled back to 76, went back up to 80, couldn't break 80, pulled back to 78, back up to 80 so that's 79 and now so now we know they beat earnings we know they had good forward guidance it was a 80 was a solid like resistance level going back for six months it could never get above 80 dollars a share so all we wanted was buy above 80. so yesterday we put in our buy stop 80.05 gh breaks out the low of the day was 79 it ripped you know four boxes four percent that day and now today it's at 88. So we bought the stock yesterday. It's up 10% today. If we were wrong and we bought 80 and it didn't work and it failed, we would have lost 1%. Big deal. I could do that all day long and I'm never gonna, never gonna blow my money. But that was a perfect example where we saw the earnings, we saw the forward guidance, we waited a month. Now that, that we cared, it just when the stock was ready to go, it's gonna go, but we don't know when it's gonna go. The new trader wants it to go yesterday and they wanna be in right now. We don't care. It's like, it's on our radar. I can look at it right now. Okay, GMC 88, boom, done. But that was like a good example, news-wise, forward guidance, only thing that matters. And after they report, more than likely the name is gonna take three weeks, four weeks to kind of consolidate that big move it just had. Like if a stock just gapped up 20%, it's not gonna go another 20% the next day. But everyone just like, oh, it's up 20%. It's like, no, it's gonna, it's gotta, you want it to settle out because then you can get, People like us who have real money, you know, cumulative like our entire group to really buy that and break that level. And that's just technical analysis. Just, you know, there's people that are going to buy 80 the first time and sell at 76. The newer trader, the semi-impatient trader is going to buy it the second time. We're coming in third, fourth, fifth, sixth time where the risk is so much tighter. And the person who bought the first time emotionally, like, I can't buy that anymore. You can't go in anymore. When they say that, like if I'm talking to someone who just lost money in GH, not a member, like a random person, I hate GH, I bought it a month ago at 80, I sold it at 76, will you buy it now? Absolutely not. I will 100% buy it because you won't. If you want to buy it this time, probably not. But a lot of it comes down to like human psychology and a lot of people overlook that aspect when it comes to trading. So uh, what is your end goal with uh, TE, with trading experts? So I think if you ask any person who like runs a business, they never have an end goal because it just you're you're old, like our main thing since day one is always to be to improve to always add value. So if you had joined us four years ago, it was just an email. We just had posts on Instagram. There was no YouTube videos. 
trolls will complain you don't have YouTube videos. Okay, we'll do YouTube videos. Oh, you guys don't have a group chat. Okay, we'll do a group chat. You guys don't have free content. Okay, we'll give you so much free stuff that it'd be impossible to complain about how much free stuff we give you. You guys don't have a newsletter. Okay, we'll do two newsletters. You guys will be your members. I'll fly them out to Turks and Caicos and to Zuma and to, to Bimbley and we'll go heli skiing. So for us, when we have like the people that have like that negative feedback, it's awesome. Like, yo, like tell me because you guys are giving us our best ways to improve. You guys don't have, you don't have an app in the app store. Okay, we're gonna app in the app store. So a lot of our like major improvements have been from focusing on just trying to improve. But you like like you don't know your weakness because you're you know subjected to yourself. Just like I don't know my weaknesses, but that other person who's looking at me can tell. Oh no, your tie's undone. Oh, okay, let me fix it. So. There's never really like an end goal. We always have like goals in general. Like we have a yearly goal, we have a five year goal, we have a three month goal, we have a month. So there's always a monthly goal, quarterly, yearly, annually. But there's never like once I get here, I'm closing up shop and I'm going to move on. Because that's just not in, you know, I hate these word entrepreneur, but like someone running a business, it's always just trying to grow it. Just want to keep watering it and, and watch it grow. And then you look back and you go, I remember when we first started and we had like no one for a year. And now it's like, okay, no, I can't bring you on because we have too many. Yeah. So it's, there's never an end goal, but having, you know, goals, you know, this month we have a goal for the year. We have a goal. There's always goals. I always write them down on paper. Uh, so yes. So, so, um, so for someone starting a business, so, so let's say someone who's like really good at coming up with ideas and, and then like implementing them and, you know, getting them started. In other words, what you were what you're saying is that it should never be in your mind. This should never be. I'm gonna start this business. I'm gonna. It's gonna be successful because I'm passionate about it. And then when it's really big, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the next idea. I'm gonna sell it for what it's worth. And then I'm just gonna move on to the next big idea that I'm gonna feel passionate about. And then I'm. It's just it's just gonna be that cycle. So that that should never be in say an entrepreneur's mind or a business owner's mind. So. Like you mentioned, like, so even for trading experts, like that's my passion like to help people financially. I do that as an advisor every single day. I do that for trading experts. I love to do that regardless. So it's not like one, like if it ever becomes, I don't have that passion and that's just going to show in general. And I can look back at, you know, when I had like a, a limo and an exotic car rental business, like it was a lot of fun. It was like my first service business. You know, I got behind the wheel and I drove a little more than anybody else. So I was like the owner but I would still show up and like take you to the city or take you to Hoboken. And that really wasn't like, I didn't, as much as I love cars, like I don't want to fix cars. I don't, you know, I, I'll go get it fixed. I'm not going to like change the oil. I'm not going to, I don't want to like, I just want to drive. Like I have, I have fun drifting limo in the snow, but I don't want to like change the alternator or clean out this guy's throw up. There's certain businesses that like you, it's good to get in them because you can see if it works. Like, you know, I know the limo business makes money. I know I was still able to compete with Uber as competitive as it was because offering a different service. You know, you're pulling up in a limo on a club, you weren't pulling up in a Honda Civic. So it was a different clientele that I was kind of working with. But I don't want to book limo rides or book power rides or book weddings. Like that wasn't my passion, but it was a fun business to learn from. And I was able to take lessons from that into the next business. And like the, the main one I learned from the limo business was that Anyone who got a free ride, and this relates to even the free information that we give out. Yeah. Any person gave a free ride to, like my my friends, like my the guy I haven't talked to in five years, but we got a beer once. Okay, no problem. I'll, I'll get you a free ride. Don't worry. Okay, you got ten people. You want to go to Lebanon in the city? It's a Friday. No problem. 
I'll send a limo to be there at six. I'll have a bottle of champagne in the back. There'll be ice, there'll be the champagne flutes, there'll be napkins, everything you need. You can bring your own alcohol. There'll be the little you know, USB in the back. You'll have your own AC, your own intercom. You'll have to talk to the driver, set door-to-door service into the city back. That'll be $1,500 ride. I'll pay for the driver, I'll pay for those, do everything. That person ever say thank you, that they ever tip the driver? No. Bennett, it's, it's 6.05, the guy's not here yet. Like, it's Friday, 6 o'clock. Who's going to LeBain at 7.30? Like, what do you, like, you, I'm like, you're texting me, you're by yourself, the other night you aren't even there yet. Like, what are you worrying about? But then the people who paid 250 a person round trip, Bennett, the driver was awesome. He stopped at McDonald's on the way back. I can't believe you guys got us a bottle of uh, Moet champagne. That was so thoughtful. I'm gonna refer you to, to my buddy's wedding next week. He needs one, can you do it? Of course. So I, the big takeaway there was like, okay, you can you can always give favors, but those people are gonna look at that paper much differently than you do. And I look at it even with us giving out like free, uh, free programs. Three free programs, don't have to pay a dollar, don't have to give us an email, you don't have to like do any tricks, you just can read the stuff, you can say it as long as you want, you can leave it everyone, do whatever you want. But people will still complain that it's free, but then once they pay, then they start to read. Yeah. And that's and that's like the trick, like, why do you charge people? It's like, well, once that person puts their money down, now it's their investment. Now they want it, they want to recoup that money back, and that's when they really start to do the work. So and I could even see it where the person working through the first three programs, which are the easiest, takes them the most amount of time because it's for free. But then once they once they put their money where their mouth is, they you know, game planning, two weeks done. Chart reading, a week. Trade psychology, a week. But it took you three months to getting started. But that was a lesson that I knew from the little business where it's like, I can't let that affect my day. I can't waste the energy that that person I can take advantage of it. I'm trying to help, I'll give you the information, but then it's gonna come on you to do the heavy lifting. With that, I can't force you to read the book, it's on you to do. So that was like a major lesson I took into trading experts that definitely helped me speed up that process where my partner was like, why are we gonna give it away for free? Then they're gonna use it. It's like, I kind of learned this lesson a little bit, like let's run with it and, and we, you know, a year ago, we only had the one free program. Now we have those first three are for free. Right. And we continue as we continue to build out our programs. Now we have 12 of them and we have so much of this valuable information on the back end that we're slowly starting to try to offer more of it free, but not having it where the person's not going to do it because it's, you know, if everything's free, they don't do it. It doesn't work. Point. And it, it's so crazy that, you know, that, what you mentioned is is the same concept. Let's say for someone going to the gym, if if you're paying five bucks, ten bucks for a membership, let's say Planet Fitness, then you don't really have the, you know the, you're not being forced to go to the gym and work out. But if you pay for a trainer, two hundred bucks a month, two hundred and fifty bucks a month, it's like yeah. damn, that that hurts my pocket at the end of the month. I better go lose some damn weight and get in shape. And it's also yeah. a testament to you know when I was growing up and I was living at home with parent with my parents. My mom always told me, yo, shut your ceiling fan off, shut your light off. You know, you don't pay for nothing. You don't pay for light. But now that I have my own place and now that I pay my own bills, it's like, yo, shut all these damn fans off. What is all these fans doing on? Shut the AC off. It's been off for too long. So, you know, it's crazy how just, you know, growing up and things in real life, it just all connects. So uh, why are people hesitant of joining trading experts with your, your experience throughout all these years? So I think the biggest thing is that there's just so many like scammers out there. 
And we used to, I've kind of toned it back a little bit because we would like, if you ever checked our stories, like every day there's a scam and we would just be murdering them. And I don't even want to like give them the energy of like the, of naming like these. And there's like big people, like people that like you look at their social media and it's like, oh my God, this guy's got a McLaren. And it's like, yo, this guy's a trash trader. Like he trades one thing every day. He makes like a hundred bucks with a hundred thousand dollar account. And then you go on all of his guys and it's like, I'm down 99% or I lost my entire life savings. Yeah. And it's so many of those people where it's like, you see a nice car, you see a nice watch, you see the guy on vacation and it's like, you can do nothing and make millions. And it's like, there's so many people that, that do that. And it's so easy to portray that and, even, and really fake it, that it, it overshadows the real people in the industry. So if you ask any of our competition, like, do you have the Series 7, you have the 56, you have your 66, like, you an actual license. It's like, no, you're just a guy with an Instagram account and, and you know, and an exotic car and a Rolex right. and you made money one time and that's all you got. And you so, call yourself a Forex guru. Yeah. So there's like, it's just, it's just such, it's so easy to, to be that person. That it's just hard to know who's real and who's not. And you, unfortunately it just takes time to really weed out who is, you know, the real deal. And a lot of our, you know, a lot of people we talk to, it's like, oh, I was with so-and-so and I got smoked and it's like, I'm saying, unfortunately we weren't there, but like, we should hear what it's now. Like you learned that lesson. It's not gonna happen again. And now we can move forward. But it just, there's just so many people in the industry that just aren't authentic that, you know, people are just, like, damn, I just want to stay away from it. Yeah. All right. So what has been your biggest accomplishment with uh, trading experts? But I think the biggest, bigger picture, like most recently, uh, we, we helped save, I think it was like $3 million with interest payments on helping a lot of our guys and just random Instagram followers, you know, interest rates have been dropping. So refinancing your mortgage has been like a slam dunk, huge cost savings. And again, the mortgage owner wants to sell you a mortgage. He doesn't care if you are educated on how to efficiently prepay it. So if you have a mortgage payment and let's say it's $3,000, right? Simple numbers, you pay it once a month but you aren't realizing that that interest is compounding every single day. Or if you're making more frequent payments for that mortgage, say it's $1,500 every two weeks, the same $3,000, but you're making more frequent payments, it helps chip away at that debt. So, you know, we, we had a buddy make a calculator to show the numbers, because I can tell you, okay, $500,000 mortgage, I would going to save you, if your mortgage is 4%, easy 80K off the top. That's going to that's gonna be- By six, making more frequent uh, payments. But the same amount of money. So, but now if I tell you that, you're like, ah, it doesn't make any sense. But then if I show you like, okay, here's a calculator, you plug numbers in yourself, you tell the numbers. And you're like, damn, 84,000? Yeah. Wait, and all I do is make one call to my mortgage lender and change my, yeah. Oh, okay, done. So that, that was separate of trading, but that was recent. And we did this, we did it pretty hard for like a month. It was like every day we just kept hammering on all these people that were saving 50K, 100K, 150,000 over the term of their loan and, and cutting up years and years in the mortgages that was short term i think the bigger picture long term is that this little thing again i don't know if you, they're gonna be able to see this on the podcast but it's a little stress ball yeah, with a yeah. hundred dollar franklin i'll put a picture somewhere yeah yeah um so the biggest thing was is that every most people's misconception with growing an account is they have this imaginary number in their head 10,000, 100,000, 25,000, whatever number they needed to start with. And then they're gonna naturally grow this number into a million dollars in 10 years by just profits. Um, and the, yeah, you could do that. It's gonna take a really long time. You have to be like a brain wizard. But what we do is, you know, we have our guys 
save a hundred bucks a week, hundred bucks a week is you know, $1,500 a year, pretty much max out your Roth IRA. So if you're on Robinhood with 10,000, you make $10,000 in a year, you uncle Sam, whatever your tax bracket is on that 10,000 means. If my guy in trading experts is trading his Roth IRA, which is tax deferred and tax free when he pulls it out, he makes 10,000, he owes Uncle Sam $0 this year, and he owes Uncle Sam $0 when he retires. Yeah. So yeah, you can be the wizard and turn 10 into 20 in the taxable account and then end up paying the government three, four, five thousand dollars and you got 15. Well, my guy's got 20 now, he's adding 5,000 years. So now at the end of the year, he's got 25, you got 15, and now let's do this game again. You make 10,000, he makes 10,000. Okay, now you're at 25 year two, my guy's now at 45. Now we're only doing year one, year two. Now scale it out 30 more years. This guy's got two, three, four, five million dollars tax free, tax deferred. You can take it out day one and buy a Bugatti and almost and nothing. Or you have the guy who's doing it backwards, you know, paying all this money in taxes and then complaining about it, doing it the way that he taught himself because he's going to be this, you know, mastermind of the market. So longer term, the fact that we have our guys being more active from a swing trading standpoint in their retirement accounts properly and then investing more long-term in the taxable accounts, they will destroy any, I don't care if you have the best trader on a prop firm, they're going to destroy them just because of the taxes. Right. You can, you know, if you're paying 20% taxes, I can make 1% and you make 26% and I make just as much as you. So that's like the real numbers that most people don't look at. They just look at like, I want to turn a thousand into two. It's like, okay, well you just did, you all can say 500 bucks. So you only made 500. So a lot of it is the more granular stuff, but we get to that at a certain point. I can't hit you with that day one because it's going to like go right over your head. Right. But once you get to that point where you understand the trade, you've, you've built up enough of your own knowledge, then it's like, and then that flip switches where in the beginning, there was actually a member of ours named Hess and I talked to him for like two years and he was a perfect example. Has money, just bought a sick home in Denver, like $600,000 home, like bought a cash, like always had money. And he was in like getting started and he made like five grand in one day. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. He's getting made in my Robinhood account. I'm like, what about your, your Roth? He goes, no, no, that's my long-term account. And he had like some shit, I don't know if I curse. It is like, it is like trash, like penny stock. And he's like, I'm holding it long-term, blah, 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 same story always. Week later, the stock's down like 50% and he sells it. And I hit it and I kind of stuck the knife and I'm like, hey, I just don't need like, No, nah, man, I sold it. I'm like, okay, let me get this trade. You made $5,000 in your taxable account, which was sick, but you owe Uncle Sam money on that good money, right? Now your long-term account, this long-term investment in your tax-deferred or tax-free account that is no benefit long-term, you just took a 50% loss and you can't even write off. So you did it double backwards. Now, if you had done this reverse, you would have lost money in your taxable account, you could have wrote that loss off, and that 5,000 would have been tax-free, like, doesn't that make more sense? Or do you just like to give Uncle Sam money? And he was like, and in the moment he was pissed because that was like too nice because he, he was doing it backwards. Yeah. And he was pissed for like a week or two. And then like maybe a week or two later, he was like, you know what, man? He's like, that, that really pissed me off. But he's like, that was right. And now, you know, like I said, he's still got money. He's doing it that way. He's doing it this way now. And it just, so it's just so much more beneficial, so much easier. But for some reason, especially male dominated, we just want to do it the hard way. You know, we don't listen to our parents, we want to figure it out ourselves. And it's like, why did I just put that switch off? Like, it's so easy. But you know, you got to learn it the hard way sometimes. Yeah, us, us male are, are a little bit hard headed. So, all right. So, uh, 
just for now, anyways. Uh, I'm uh, done with the um, with the trading expert questions. I want to go into a, a a little lightning lightning round before we uh, sign off for today. And uh, basically, I'm going to be asking you seven questions, and these seven questions are from the free programs that you guys have offered. And okay. uh, you'll have 30, uh, 30 seconds to answer these. And okay. obviously, you should probably answer them in 10 seconds because <laughs> you wrote them. Uh, yeah. So just try to like answer them as quickly as possible in layman's terms, as simple yeah. as possible. All right. So let me, let me get ready here. Got to get my uh, Steve Harvey mojo and read these questions. Pretty fast. <laughs> All right. Starting in five, four, three, two. All right. I'll start it when I ask the first question. Uh, what is a market order? Market order is you want to buy a stock, you hit buy, and it buys at the market price. Okay. What is the S and P five hundred? S and P five hundred is the five hundred, you know, biggest companies in America. What is a stop loss? It's an order that you put in that if a stock goes below a certain price, it will market you out. What is a five one risk reward? So for every dollar that we risk, we look to make five dollars of what we risk. What is the difference between day and swing trading? Day trading is you buy and sell on the same day. Swing trading is when you buy and hold for more than one day. Time. Damn, two questions left. I'm going to ask it to you anyways because those are long questions. And you basically, it's funny because you, you, we spoke about it a little while ago. What account would you look to hold long-term investment in from a step tax standpoint? I think you can answer that. What do you think the answer is? Um, <laughs> you had it too, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and then which account would you look to hold uh to trade more uh effect actively in a in a standpoint in a tax standpoint so again we're gonna do some some asterisks if you are making money if you're actually like you've made money last year you made money the year before then yes trading your retirement account and holding your taxable account be more beneficial from a tax standpoint if you're losing money and to be honest with yourself, you don't have to tell me, you don't have to tell you, right. you're saying, you know you're losing money. Do not do that. Hire an advisor, DM me, I'll manage your real money, and then you can do your own thing in your trading account and you can write up those losses. But that's the one main thing, because especially for our guys, that strategy works if you make money. If you don't make money, like most people who want to do it their own way, then you got to do what everyone else does. Lose money in your taxable account, write it off the next 10 years, and put the boring stuff in your IRA. But if you can actually make money, you learn from us, you, you do it your own way, then yes, longer term, taxable, think I think Robinhood, shorter term, think Roth IRA, you know, like, you know think your E-Trade Roth or your Fidelity account, or your, you know, even Acorn's a great app, but that you can't trade, that just helps you then build up the account. Amazing, and I'm, I'm writing this stuff down, even though I just read it. All right. And um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for today. Ben, any last words for the people listening on, uh, you know, YouTube and Paradiso, so all our fans out there, anything you you want to say, any closing thoughts? Yeah, there's like I said, if there's anything that we can do to improve again, you know, DMS at trading experts, always open to hear you know, your opinions. If you guys have any questions, realize we give you I will always give you my partnership will always give you the real answer. It's more likely not going to be the answer you want to hear, but we will always give you the truth. If the stock is trash, we're going to tell you it's trash. If the stock is great, we'll more than likely buy it with you. So just remember when you, you know, if you take your ego out of the equation, 
investments become a much easier, you know, ballpark to play in than when you walk with a chip on your shoulder. Amazing, amazing, Ben. Thank you again, bro. You are the freaking man. I can't wait to sit down and just have a be with you and continue to talk. We always have some awesome conversations. Thank you again for just sitting down and taking the time and speaking to everyone and just dropping some freaking knowledge, bro. Dropping some knowledge on everybody on trading, life, books, cars, everything, man. I really, really appreciate it. Right, man. I'll see you June 15th in, uh, in Brooklyn for Shakes. Definitely, definitely. Uh, ben, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Ben and I talk and just listening to the knowledge this guy has. And uh, hopefully we can do a, a part two, part three, maybe even a series where we can sit down and just talk about trading nonstop. Uh, uh, for everyone out there listening, thank you again. Check us out, Paradiso's podcast. Uh, Instagram, www.paradisos.world and Paradisos101 on Twitter. Until next time, God bless you all. Goodbye.